his name the sweetest song we could ever sing Jesus 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 thank you Lord Jesus 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 you can never call his name too much he will never get tired of you saying his name he will never get tired of hearing your voice pronounce his name proclaim his name he will never get tired of hearing you call his name you cannot call his name too much Jesus 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 no other name we know Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. 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 Thank you, Lord. Thank you. Glory and honor is due your name, not just today, God, not just this morning, but every day, all day, every moment of every single day, every moment of our existence, God. Your name is worthy to be praised. God, you are worthy to be praised, Father. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. We willingly Lord, create an atmosphere for you to be free to move, Lord God. Hallelujah, 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 Jesus. Hallelujah, thine the glory. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah, amen. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah, thine the glory. Revive us again. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Revive us again. Revive us again, Lord. Hallelujah. 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 Sometimes you got to get your, yourself into a place of submission. You don't want to be there, but that's flesh. We're going to have to deal with that for the rest of our lives. But sometimes we have to command ourselves. Remember the other week? You heard me saying, I command myself. I command. I was talking. Y'all heard me, but I was talking to me. Because I have to command myself in the presence of the Lord there's a way you're, you're to carry yourself and that's just a way of reverence it doesn't mean that you have to automatically speak in tongues some of us aren't there yet it doesn't mean that you have to sound like somebody else but there's a way to there's a way to to carry yourself in the presence of God and that is just in the way of submission 
and sometimes I don't want to submit so sometimes I have to make myself submit in the presence of the king because that is what he requires and that is what is obedient and that is what is honorable to him we honor him when we submit ourselves when we submit our attitudes when we submit our reactions to the things that we didn't cause life is life and for everybody right a whole lot of stuff is going on for everybody and if you're anything like me sometimes you don't have the right attitude I don't feel like praying I don't feel like singing I don't you know I know your word is true but I don't really want to hear that right now and those are the times where you have to make yourself you have to make yourself submit and you can't do it on your own you have to do it by the power of the Holy Spirit but we have to allow him to get you to that place that's why you hear us up here just saying his name just giving him praise because if we're trying to command our flesh we're trying to command our flesh to be obedient to the will of the Father we're commanding ourselves, we're commanding this, this disobedient flesh, this rebellious flesh. My mind is rebellious. I don't want to praise. I don't want to worship, not on my own. Not on my own. You know how many people told me I look tired today? And it's only about 11 o'clock. Cause I got out the bed tired. And that bed said, I said, no, look, I got to go to church. I got to go to church. I got to be obedient. So with the help of the Holy Spirit, we got ourselves up. We got ourselves dressed and we came to the house of the Lord because he is worth it. And he is, he's deserving of it. So when you are at home, not just in church, when you're at home, command yourself. You can command your day. Command yourself to worship him. Command yourself to praise him. It doesn't always have to be loud. It doesn't always have to, to, to get the attention of other people around you. But if they hear you, they hear you. So what? We hear a bunch of stuff that we're not listening for. Don't ask me how I know. But command yourself. Worship is still worship when it's quiet. Worship is still worship when it's not in an arena. You can do it anywhere, anytime. You can command yourself anywhere and anytime. Jesus, Jesus. You just, just sing his name. Something will stir in you. Something will stir in you. Just begin to sing his name. Just begin to talk to him, to worship him because he's worthy of it. And he empowers you in turn. He empowers you to get through your day. He empowers you to walk through your circumstances. He will empower you until they change. He will change you in the meantime. He will change you in the meantime. Paul and Silas were prisoners, but they were not. They were imprisoned, but they were not prisoners of their circumstance. They were not. That's how they could sing in the midst of being chained up in a place where they didn't even deserve to be. Because the Holy Spirit empowered them, but they had to allow him to do that. And they sang. They sang. They sang in chains in a dirty, dark, and musty place that they didn't even deserve to be. But they sang. Do you think they felt like singing? No. They didn't feel like it. But they surrendered their will and they surrendered to the Holy Spirit to do what only he can do. And do you know, we know how that story ends, right? The doors opened, the chains fell off. And that's what will happen in our lives when we just just surrender to God just surrender 
just let the worship fall out of your mouth. Just sing his name. Just talk to him about him. It matters. Even if you feel like you don't know what to say, any good thing you can say to God about God is worship. Just, just think of something wonderful. You are so nice. That's worship. Everybody's worship doesn't sound the same. You don't have to sound like, you know, eloquent or whatever. Just, Lord, you are just so nice to me. You are so kind. This sunshine is amazing. I heard birds this morning when I woke up. Thank you for that. Thank you for that. There's a plant that grows outside of my door. It, it, it blossoms every spring. And I thank God for that every spring because the, the, just the shoots and the buds come up. I get so happy when that thing shoots up every year. And I thank God for being able to see that because of what it does to my heart. I don't know why it affects me that way. But I worship God about a plant that grows outside of my house because he created it. And he knew that I would be living there and that I would see it and that it would affect me the way that it did. And I believe, I don't care what nobody say, he put that there for me. He put it there for me, for whatever the reason. So we are going to worship over the small things. We're going to worship over the big things. We're going to worship in the midst of the bad things. We're going to worship in the midst of the good things because he is deserving of it. He is deserving of it. We honor you and we bless your name, Father. We bless your name, Jesus. Jesus, just lift your voice and say something to him. Jesus, you are wonderful. You're mighty. God, you are excellent. You make no mistakes, Father. You make no mistakes. You make no mistakes. God, we bless your name. We lift your name higher and higher and higher. We magnify your name. We glorify your name, Jesus. You are holy. You are worthy. God, you are gracious. You are fair. You are right. You are the breaker of chains. You knock down walls. You remove us from circumstances that we create for ourselves. God, you are a rescuer. You're a rescuer, Father. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. This first song is called All That Remains. When I first heard the title, I thought it was about one thing. But when I listened to the lyrics, I realized that it was about something else. I thought it was about strengthening what remains. Whatever you got left, you know, you done been broke down. And Lord, all I got is, that's not what it's about. Even though he will still take that. When you've been beat up by life and all you have is just a little, a whisper of worship, he will take that. But that's not what it was talking about. It's talking about what's left over, the aftermath of his power. And nothing can stand after he takes over. Nothing can stand. Nothing can withstand it. So we're going to thank God. We're going to sing to him. We're going to worship him about all that remains. Because it's just, it's just rubble. That's what happens when he gets finished. It's just, it's just rubble. Because he has knocked down whatever came to stand against us in the first place. He's knocked it down. He's, he's overcome it. He's conquered it. Can we agree that he is a conqueror? Is he a conqueror? You may be waiting on something to be conquered in your life right now, but he's still a conqueror. He's still a conqueror because he's already conquered something. We are going to bless God for all that remains.
Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. 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 Bless your name, Jesus. Glory to your name, Jesus.
out of the innermost parts of you. Because something happens when you release the sound that he's put in your belly. Open your mouth. It doesn't matter what you sound like. Let it ring. Let it ring out. Let it ring out. Let it ring out. Let it ring out. Those walls got to come down. This song said sing to the, sing to the wall. You've got to come down. You've got to come down. And you're coming down because I said so. With the power of the Holy Spirit, I declare you are coming down. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. He has won for us. came down yes they marched around it <clears throat> but after that last time they were commanded to open their mouths and let that sound out of their belly that's why I'm having you repeat it because we have to get we have to get used I know some of us are not used to things like this in church but everything else in your life is screaming at you when are you going to take your power and scream back at it take your power back I'm talking to me too take your power back and scream back at those things you don't have to say the same thing. Their words ain't got no power unless we give it to them. But the words that we are singing have power. They have power. And that's why we, and who we're singing to has power. That's why I say, I'm encouraging you to let it ring out of you. And if you have to wait until you get by yourself, that's fine. Scream to the top of your lungs. That's what you do when you have victory. That's what you do. Or that's what you do when you're desperate. Either one will work. Get desperate, get desperate, get desperate. I'm desperate. I need you to do something.
do you think heaven sounds like? It's not quiet up there. It's nothing but victory up there. It's nothing but victory up there. They shout, hallelujah, holy, 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 all day long, all night long. There is no time there. They're not timid about their praise, and we're supposed to mimic the atmosphere of heaven. Mimic the atmosphere of heaven. Hallelujah. 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 desperate you don't even care it is what it is I need God to do some things not just in my life but in me so if screaming to the top of my lungs is what's going to get that thing started then that's what I got to do and I encourage you to be vulnerable before him and let loose and let him let him have his way in your life it might scare you at first but you got to stop being afraid of your own voice it's just you it's okay it's okay. <clears throat> Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Lift your voice. Hallelujah. 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 Bless your name, Jesus. Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for the victory, Lord. Hallelujah. I searched the world. Hallelujah. But it couldn't fill me. Man's empty praise and treasures that fade are never enough. But you came along. Thank you, Jesus. Put me back together And every desire Is now satisfied Here in your love Oh, there's nothing Better than you There's nothing Better than you, Lord There's nothing Lord, you see them all, and you still call me friend. Cause the God of the mountain is the God of the valley. 
there's not a place your mercy and grace won't find me again oh there's nothing
Daddy, there's no one like you. There's not one desire, not one dream, not one want that we possess that's better than you. There's not one thing that my job, not one thing that this world, not one thing that this relationship can offer me that is better than you. You are the King of Kings. You are the Lord of Lords, Jesus. Jesus, there's just something about that name. Jesus, Master, Savior. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Come on, I know there's people in this room going through some floods this week. I know you're going through some battles. I, I know you've got some doctor's reports. I know you've lost some friends. I know there are going to be people who were there last year at your 4th of July party that won't be there this year. But my God turns graves into gardens. He makes things grow in the midst of death. My God is a mighty God. He is not moved and restrained by natural humanity. He rules above it all. We don't serve a dead philosopher. We serve a risen Savior who's in the world. That's Jesus. That's the name we're calling out. Come on. There's nothing better than you. Come on, let's just sing that one more time. Better than you. Make it from your heart. Let this be the cry today. Put your soul on notice. There's nothing. Tell your soul, soul, there's nothing better than Jesus. There's nothing better, nothing better, nothing better, nothing better. There's nothing better than you. There's nothing better than you. There's nothing. Nothing is better than you. Father, we thank you. Daddy, that is the cry of your people's lips today. Even when our flesh doesn't feel it, our soul wants something else, today the truth says there's nothing better than you. And so we submit to the truth. We cry out to the truth. Let it be so in our lives, Daddy, there's nothing better than you. Come and move in this place in the power of the Holy Spirit. Come against the forces of the enemy, Lord God, that brings sickness and disease and depression and uncertainty and discouragement and disconnection. In the name of Jesus, we find ourselves in you. We stand on the rock that says in Christ we are more than conquerors in Jesus no weapon formed against us shall prosper you're worthy you're worthy like Paul and Silas we're going to praise you until the chains fall off we're going to praise you when the chains fall off and we're going to praise you after the chains fall off so that the chains can be a witness to our praise the things that used to bind us shall be a witness to the praise of the one who delivered us in the name of Jesus. Come on, church. Let your kingdom come. Let your will be done in this church, in our lives, in our nation, in our world, as it is in heaven. And together in faith we say amen and amen. Come on, give God a shout of praise for whatever he's doing in your life today that's worthy of it. Hallelujah. Woo. Oh, I love that I needed that. I needed that. I needed that. I needed that. I needed that this morning. I needed to be reminded 
not theologically I've got the, the theology worked out I I went to school I, I know how the Greek works and the Hebrew ties together I, I got it I understand the syntax sometimes man my soul needs to be reminded who's in control who has the final voice over my life because circumstances seem strong until we realize that Jesus is stronger the report of a doctor seems threatening until we listen to the report of the Lord the lack in our accounts seems devastating until we come back to the revelation that he is Yahweh my provider someone told me a long time ago when a report comes your way no matter what it's written on we're gonna believe one of two reports the report that's in front of me or the report that the Lord gave me we're gonna believe one report as for me in my house we're gonna believe the report of the Lord we're gonna believe the report of the Lord we're gonna stand on it man I'm so glad you're here today thank you thank you for coming thank you for worshiping thank you for pressing in and leaning in together this morning there's something that happens when we worship together so thank you for getting out of bed give yourselves a hand thank you for getting out of bed Shay, this morning getting dressed coming on in right sometimes that's half the battle just shaking it off let's go let's get in the house of the lord thank you can we just give a shout out to everybody who's online this morning we love you guys thank you for joining us this morning from wherever you are down the shore can if you listen if you're on vacation, enjoy it. Breathe in today. Read a book. Get under the umbrella at the beach. Enjoy life. Let God be a refresher. But if you're watching today from wherever you are, don't just be a spectator. Push, lean in. Lean into God. Join this place. And if you're a guest this morning, thank you for coming to connect. Thank you for being here, being a part of what God's doing. Up on the screens, you're going to find a QR code in just a second. You can click on that. They're all over the place to find out a little bit more about church, about what we're about. But more than that, we want to know you because this is a place to do life together. Amen? Well, hey, it's time for the kiddos. Look, we believe in generations here. We believe in raising up this generation. So kiddos, you can head out with Pastor Lisa, Pastor Kevin. Follow the sign on out. Give them a hand, church, as they're going. Everybody who's serving in kids' ministry this morning, we love you. Now as you're being seated, give somebody next to you a high five, a fist pump. Tom, it's good to see him. Take a moment to say good morning. Mm-hmm. Woo! I need a towel already. Sweating. Hey, before we hop in to the word... I just want to take a moment to say thank you to, to uh, everybody um, who served in uh, the community yesterday. Uh, we had a group of people who went and served in the community through our Thy Kingdom Crumb, our food truck that delivers food to people. And we were in my hometown, Mullica Hill, uh, where we live, and it's, uh, we were giving away, they were giving away food yesterday. Saw six people come to know Jesus. So amazing. Thank you for that. It's incredible. And also we had, look, we, we had, some of you may not know, but we had a flood in the building this week uh, on Tuesday. The uh, flooded the whole lobby, the kids' areas. It was really bad. And I want to thank people who came and served the community in the house. Because that's, that's what disciples do. There's a community out of the house and a community in the house. And they, they came on Tuesday. They came yesterday to set everything up. Uh, many of you probably don't even know that that happened because it looks beautiful again. And it's because you see up on the screen, here's the truth. The kingdom is not built on the gifting of a few, but on the sacrifices of the many. 
It's not, it's not about, uh, we were joking around yesterday about, uh, man, Pastor, tomorrow's July, fourth weekend, you better bring the fire. And I was like, it's not for me to actually light your fire, it's for you to fan into flame. Come on, somebody. I'm going to bring the heat. The truth is this, but if you're waiting for me to ignite your flame, you, you are looking to the wrong flame to ignite your soul. But when we see that truth about the kingdom, it's also true about nations. And so when we celebrate, no matter how you come to 4th of July, because for some people, 4th of July is a celebration. For some people, it may not be as celebratory as for others. But just remember that all of us, the lives that we live, the communities we live on are not built just simply on the gifting of a few, but on the sacrifices of the many throughout the years. And that's what we celebrate when we celebrate these days. I want to invite you to one more thing before we uh, hop into the Word today. In two weeks from now, July 16th, say July 16th, two, two weeks, uh, we're going we, we, um, to do a roundtable with uh, Matt and Liberty Harris, uh, who some of you know, Matt and Liberty were with us for years and years and years on our global team with us. Uh, they are actually living in Nepal. Matt is a doctor at a mission hospital in Nepal. Uh, Liberty is, uh, teaches kids there as well. Um, but we're going to talk, Danielle and I are going to have a roundtable with them here on Sunday morning. We're going to talk about how to live in the kingdom by making daily choices for the king. Like, what does it mean? Like, yeah, I know. You're like, yeah, I know, but they're missionaries. No, no, it's about they have to make decisions as a mom and a dad, as a husband and a wife, as, sibling, as siblings, as children of a mom and a dad, of, of uh, other people. They, they have to make decisions that, you know, in certain areas, maybe that, uh, that they wish things would be different. It's all about how do we make daily decisions. It doesn't matter whether we're in Nepal or whether we're in Mount Laurel, whether we're in Cherry Hill or Camden. We all have to learn how to make decisions, how to live in the kingdom every day. And they're, they're doing it. They have to do it in Nepal. We're going to hear great stories about Nepal. Uh, it's the, uh, one of the least Christianized uh, nations in our world, but it actually has one of the fastest growing churches on the planet today. So it's just going to be great to hear that. But it's not just, I'm not inviting you to story time. Right? This isn't story time with Pastor Kyle. Right? Uh, let's just get out our, our floor mats and sit, and I'm going to read. This is about learning from men and women who actually are putting it on the line every day in uncomfortable circumstances how to make choices to serve our king. That's why I don't call them missionaries. I say they're serving the king and the kingdom in Nepal. Missionaries like, I can't be a missionary. No, but you can serve the king and the kingdom wherever you are. Amen? All right, so hey, it's not just for you to come. Invite some friends. They're awesome. We love them. They're fantastic. Well, are you ready for the word this morning? I'm ready for the word. So why don't you, uh, since you brought your Bible, why don't you open with me to uh, the book of Isaiah, the book of Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 59. Isaiah is the 23rd book of the Old Testament. It's written by the prophet Isaiah. It's written to the people, uh, uh, the children of God in Israel who are living in captivity in Babylon. They're under oppression. They're under pain. They're living in hurt. They're living in lack. And yet the word of the, the Lord comes to encourage them. And I hope it comes to encourage you today as well title for the message today is above the flood we have to learn how to live above the flood as I just said earlier ago we had a flood this week right it was crazy what's crazier about it and this is the truth it happened two years to the day since the last flood that happened here ah uh, coincidence mm. two years to the day and I think the fr frustrating thing for me is that we spent a lot of money 
trying to solve this problem so that it wouldn't happen again. And yes, Lord, and yet it happened again. The problem is it came from a different source. Come on, how many of us know that we can have the same problem but comes from a different source? Come on, have we ever felt like that in your life where you have just been getting hit over and over and over again with a flood time and time again? And the frustrating thing is that you already thought that you had dealt with this. You'd already brought about the change. You thought you needed to bring about the change so it wouldn't happen again. And then out of nowhere, bang, same problem comes back up. Is there anyone else in here that maybe feels that way in their lives, maybe is going through that now in their life, going through, man, I just feel like I'm getting hit by the flood, where, come on, where we love Jesus, but we are just barely keeping our heads above water? Like, can I tell you, if that's you, or, or maybe that will be you sometime in the future, you're in good company. It happened to the disciples, it happened to the children of God, it happens to us. Let, let, me, let, me, let, me, let, me, let me just give you a little bit of our last few years in this season. Because sometimes we're like, seasons are like a couple of weeks. No, no, not for me, it's not. And in the Bible, usually seasons don't last a few weeks. They're, they have years or decades attached to them. That's a different teaching. Let me just give you a picture. The Friday right after Easter of 2019, which happened to be the largest services we've ever had in the history of our church, the Friday after Easter. The middle building here, the middle section of this building got hit by a tornado. So we were in tents for weeks. Well, after that got cleaned up, you know what happened in 2020. There was a small thing called a pandemic, which meant we were over a year out of church and online. There were no theaters open in Philly for two years, so our Philly campus, they didn't even have a home. TKC, our, our food truck ministry, got hit hard because we weren't allowed to take the food truck out during that time, so we had to pivot and find a new way to actually do outreach and continue to feed people in the midst of it all. And in the midst of that, we lost sponsors, we lost people, we lost people who served. We couldn't take the truck across the bridge to take care of the people in Philadelphia. We wanted to do something special for this house so that when you came back, it would be a little different than when you left. And so just like all construction uh, projects, it went a lot longer, come on somebody, than was planned which added to frustration and the Friday night before we were ready to come back finally it was a flood the entire building flooded I remember Danielle and I were talking about this last uh, just this week when we walked in just we just broke down and crying I've never seen my wife in such anguish before because it was two years all this stuff building up inside that just came out and then Tuesday came. And there are a ton of other things in the midst of that which I don't even have time to mention. But to be honest, just kind of felt like it was piling on and piling on and piling on. We could have thrown up our hands in the midst of it all and just said, this is ridiculous, forget it. But we had learned some things in the midst of those floods that had helped us come to terms with this flood. We learned through those floods that church still went on. We learned that, that, that the kingdom still moves. We learned that God is still alive and still moving. But I needed to be reminded of that in the midst of a flood. 
Come on. Now, I know we're not the only ones that feel like this maybe in the season of life. Maybe it's been you've lost some friends or some relationships over the last few years. Maybe you've, you, you've had a job that's been changed or a job that's been lost. Uh, maybe you had a house that you had or maybe that you thought you had that isn't, didn't materialize and is now gone. The craziness in our life that we thought had moved, we've moved past just showed up. Same way. Different person, different, different means, but the same thing. All of us know, come on, all of us know what it's like to get hit by a flood and feel like the wave just keeps coming and coming and coming. And we come to a point, or at least I know I have at times in my life, and I'm not talking about when I was 12 or 18 or just, I'm talking about last year. Last, there's times in my life when I keep getting hit over and over where I just feel like I, I, my arms are too tired. My heart is too tired to tread water anymore. But it's what we do, church, in the midst of those moments. When we feel like we can't do it anymore. When the body and soul are tired, Jesus says to his disciples, the spirit inside of you is willing. It's the flesh that's weak. He's saying, I got it. I understand. There's going to be things you're going to want to do, but you just want to give up. It's all right. I've got you. It's what you do in those moments that matter. And that's what this text is talking about. Isaiah the prophet is trying to encourage Israel. They're in the midst of captivity in Babylon. And he's trying to encourage them not to give up. Not to give in to the culture and become a people of belief, but not faith. And I think we're in danger of that in this modern church world today, in our generation, especially in our American culture, where, you know, we believe in God and we know God's kind of there, but we are not activating faith in our lives every day. And that's the difference we've been talking about between being a believer, a believer who kind of believes in God and believes that things are right, and a disciple who says, man, I'm going to follow. I'm all in. It's not easy. I'm going to deny myself. I'm going to pick up the cross. I'm in. I'm going to follow. I'm going to activate faith. So Isaiah reminds us that God is still in the flood. He still has power and authority over the flood. And will still show up in the midst of the floods of life. And I hope these words, not only as they encourage the people of Israel thousands of years ago, speak through the corridors of time and space to you and I today and encourage us. Because we may not be in Babylon, although maybe we are. But we're all facing floods. The word of the Lord says this in verse 19. So shall they fear, that, me, that word that we talked about last week doesn't mean fear, it means awe, amazement. They shall be in awe of the name of the Lord from the west and his glory from the rising of the sun, which is the east. When the enemy comes in like a flood, the spirit of the Lord will lift up a standard against him. Come on, somebody. We should underline that in our Bibles. The Redeemer will come to Zion, and he will come to those who turn from their transgression, says the Lord. Come on. Our God is still in the midst of the floods. I think the challenge for us as disciples is that disciples recognize that the cause of the flood is not as important as the strategy behind the flood. We've got to recognize we're spending too much time trying to figure out who's responsible for the flood rather than understanding how to disarm the strategy behind the flood. 
Because the truth is here that Isaiah was not trying to get the children of God to figure out who was behind their oppression, behind their hurt, behind their pain, but rather to look at the strategy behind how the enemy uses it for his advantage. The enemy is always going to try to use the floods of our life for his advantage over our lives. The Babylonians were using it to assimilate the children of God into their culture, slowly and surely. And that's what the enemy has always done. He tries to get us to assimilate God's people into a compromised culture. A compromised culture is a culture that has some forms of godliness in it, but does not have the presence of God within it. It's like, hey, you know, we should be kind. We should be not. You know the golden rule, do unto others as others do unto. That's a compromised culture. Because it has godliness in it, but it doesn't have the presence of God within it. And the reality is, something that I think will help us if we grab a hold of it, is that floods in our life come from a variety of sources. Floods come from natural sources. Just the natural world. We live in a fallen world. It's still under the curse of the fall, and it will be until Jesus comes back and makes a new heaven and a new earth. It's why it says he redeems all things. All of creation is waiting for that moment to be set free and liberated like we are through the cross of Jesus Christ. It's waiting. So some of the times the floods in our life that come are just because you and I still exist on this side of the veil. Still under the fall. Sometimes floods come from human error. Like when you think, like I did a couple weeks ago, that you turned off the right water valve under the sink, and you find out the hard way you've turned out the wrong water valve, and you flood your kitchen. Sometimes floods come from the brokenness of people like ourselves, out of insecurity, out of fear, out of pain, out of pride. We cause floods sometimes innocently, come on, and sometimes not so innocently in other people's lives. And the enemy will always use that for his advantage in our lives. That's why some of the most devastating floods are from the people that are closest to us. And sometimes the most devastating floods in their lives, in their lives, are because of us. Some of the floods that happen because we are broken. And broken people break people, including us. And then there are some floods that come from the enemy activity that's purposed against us. Yes, the enemy has purposes against you. Matter of fact, Ephesians 6, 16, talking about why we wear the armor of God is because the enemy has fiery darts. That means that there are weapons of destruction that are focused and purposed to destroy us. And those Weapons of destruction are usually meant and aimed at areas that are meant to bless us, that are most significant to our lives. That's why he throws them at our marriages and in our godly relationships and in church and over our finances and in our marketplace. Why? That's why we have to activate faith because faith is a shield. Faith is the shield that actually dis, uh, that disempowers and destroys the strategies of the enemy in those areas of our life. But Pastor D always teaches about the, 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 the time that, like in Matthew 4, where the enemy comes to tempt Jesus. And he comes in. Like he's been alive 30 years. Enemy hasn't bothered him. Now he's starting ministry and the devil ramps it up. 
And he comes in and he floods them with all sorts of temptation. And every time Jesus responds with this, the word says no, now go. The word says no, now go. There has to be an activation from you, not a belief system, a faith system that responds when the flood comes. A few weeks ago in the war in Ukraine, Russian forces blew up uh, one of the big major dams in the Crimea region, and it flooded the whole region. It destroyed houses and harvests. It destroyed water supplies, which caused health issues and lack in people's lives. And can I just tell you this? It wasn't an accident. It was a purposed strategy of war. What we see in that, we see in the natural in that, what the enemy tries to do in the spiritual in our lives. There are not, he's not accidentally rolling up on you. There is a purpose to actually destroy your marriage, your relationships, your joy, your peace, your relationship with God so that you can live in lack and problem and doubt and disbelief, discord with the body of Christ. Come on, deconstruct our faith. That's why Jesus said in John 10.10, the thief only comes only comes to steal, kill, and destroy. To steal whatever he can of the fruit of the Spirit in your life. To kill intimacy between you and God. And to destroy your legacy over generations. Because he knows a man and woman of God, a man of God, a woman of God, can birth children of God that actually raise up a standard against him. This is why we have to be disciples and not merely believers in God. Because disciples, as disciples, we must be wise to the strategies of the enemy. And the strategies of the enemy is to use the floods, to use the floods. It doesn't matter how they come. It doesn't matter the source. He'll use the floods. He'll add on to the flood. He'll see a natural flood come and add something to it. He'll, bring a, he'll see relationship tension between you and it. He'll add something to it. Why? Because the more you're feeling underwater, the more you feel like you're treading, the easier it is for you to quit. He just piles on. The enemy, the strategy of the enemy in every flood is to distract, discourage, and disconnect. To distract, discourage, and disconnect. Especially when it comes wave after wave after wave. I remember as a little kid, uh, Danielle knows this, as a little kid, I was, I, we used to go to LBI. We used to go to LBI uh, when I was a kid. And I was just kind of big enough that I went out to the wave break, you know. Uh, and, and I remember this is partly why I don't like the beach. But I, I went out to the wave break and I got crushed by a wave. Did anybody ever get crushed by a wave? And you're like on the bottom and they're rolling in the sand, right? And just about the time you get up, you get hit by another wave and then hit by another wave. And, hit by, and I find, by the time I finally came, I had seaweed in my hair, mouth full of sand. I was freaked out. I didn't think I was going to make it. That's exactly how the devil wants you to feel. Freaked out, not going to make it. This is bigger than me. I can't do it. I might as well give up. That must have been how Israel felt under the captivity of a force as strong as Babylon. Because when Israel was taken captive... The enemy disconnected them from their place of faith, disconnected them from their dwelling place of worship called the temple. It's one of the first things he wants to do is get, disconnect you from him and from us. He tried to discourage them 
with the belief that the enemy and what they were facing was stronger than them, so why even bother to fight back? And he distracted them with an assortment of novelties that offered to soothe their pain. Just compromise a little. It'll take the edge off of your life. I was speaking to Fords last week, our men's discipleship groups here at church, and I said this, belief will keep us as long as our pain threshold will sustain us. Our belief will keep us as long as our pain threshold will sustain us. Because as long as your belief is greater than the pain you're going through, you're all right. But the moment that the pain becomes greater than your belief is the moment that you will change your belief to ease your pain. It's why we cannot, it's why we need a revelation of who Jesus is, not just information about who Jesus was. We are so often in church, tell me more about who Jesus was. I need a revelation. He is my rock and my refuge, my strong tower. He is the Lamb of God. He's the Lion of the tribe of Judah. He is the mighty conqueror. He is king above all things, even if I feel under those things. I don't need information about him. I need a revelation of him. That's what will stop me in the midst where my pain gets out of control. The revelation of Jesus brings me, yeah, yeah, I know, but he is the king. It's why Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 2 that in order, don't be unwise. And how, to, how are we unwise? When we're unaware of the devil's schemes. We have to be wise and that means we have to be aware of the devil's schemes. I mean, even last week, if you weren't here, I encourage you to listen to it again, but we were still talking about how the enemy uses a flood from multiple millennia ago to disconnect, discourage, and, dis- uh, and distract people from intimacy with God today. I mean, I don't know. How can a loving God send a flood that would kill so many people? It's a strategy. It's a strategy. Recognize it. I can't believe that person believes it. Why not? How many lies of the devil have we believed? Stop trying to change the person, disarm the strategy. That's why Ephesians 6.11 says we've got to put on the whole armor of God to take our stand against the schemes, the strategies, the purposed strategy of the enemy. I think the issue is we waste so much time trying to figure out who brought the flood rather than disarming the strategy of the enemy who's using the flood against us. And in that, we fall in this trap where we look for who to blame. So we can make sure we put that on social media or when we're telling the story, it's not really our fault, it's their fault because we love to play the victim or the martyr. It depends on what side you're on. I'm the martyr, right? Come on, that's just the way that it is. We spend so much time looking for who to blame rather than who to shame. When I, when I first got saved in a Pentecostal church in Richmond, Virginia, we had an, uh, an older lady there uh, who, who would always say this. She'd say, uh, tell the truth, shame the devil. You better tell, come on, some of you know, tell the truth, shame the devil. She wasn't saying be honest. She was saying it doesn't matter where the issues come from. I'm not going to let the enemy use it against me or my king. Because I'm going to, sh- I'm going to shame him. How am I going to shame him? I'm going to bring it to light. I'm going to expose the lie. I'm going to bring it under truth. I'm going to actually activate faith in the midst of it. That's how we, we don't, devil, I'm going to shame you. No, you shame him by exposing the lie. This is, I think, what we should love about the story of Joseph. Remember Abraham, his great-grandson, Joseph, who 
who has a story, doesn't he? If you're familiar with it in Genesis 41, he gets sold out by his brothers, actually sold into slavery. His family messed him up. You want to talk about dysfunction? That's dysfunctional. Sold him into slavery. People he thought he was going to do life with, had a future with, sold him into slavery. He was unjustly imprisoned for something he didn't do. He was undermined at his job. While he was in prison, he helped two other prisoners out. And they, when they got released, they said that they were going to help him. They forgot all about him, went on his own way, stayed there. And it seemed like the flood, wave after wave after wave after wave kept hitting him. But it was how he stewarded the flood that mattered. He worked out forgiveness with God for his brothers. He served at his job with integrity, even though the enemy was undermining him at every turn. He showed compassion and used his God-given gifts to help people who were trapped in prison with him and continued to use his God-given gifts even after being hurt by the people who he helped. Come on, if you've been around church for any length of time, you need to hear that last statement. He continued to use his gifts to help people even after being hurt by the people he helped. See, it wasn't about trying to figure out who was responsible for the floods. But at each level of flooding, he recognized an opportunity to steward who God had created him to be. How he could worship God in that moment of the flood. How he could activate trusting God for those suddenly moments. God, I don't know when the suddenly moments come in, but I know you're a God of the suddenly moments. And I love this moment because I love in Genesis 41, 14, the Bible says that Pharaoh calls for, 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 for Joseph. And suddenly, quickly, the Bible says, they brought him out of prison. Uh-huh. Quickly? Suddenly? After decades in the flood. De- we're like two weeks into it. We're like, I can't believe God hasn't shown up yet. He was decades in the flood. I don't know where Jesus is. I mean, I thought he was going to come and help me out. Decades in the flood. I don't even know if we're going to go back to church anymore. I mean, I showed up at church and Jesus still didn't show Decades in the flood. Then there was a suddenly moment. We love verse 14, but we haven't lived. Come on, verse 13 and 12 and 11 and 10 and 9. That's decades. The truth is, my friends, the truth is that my hand was sweaty and I just uh, messed up my computer. (laughs) The truth is that this verse in Isaiah tells us that God will set up a standard for us. Not when, it doesn't tell us when, and it doesn't tell us how. It just says that he will. Come on, disciple. It doesn't say how, and it doesn't say when. He says he will. That Hebrew word for standard means to propel by force. A force set up to drive something away. It's the same word used in Deuteronomy 32.30 where it says one will put a thousand to flight. Two of us coming together can set 10,000 to flight, drive it away. What it's encouraging us to see is that God sets up his standard to push against the floodwaters and he causes them to withdraw. That is his promise. It's what we see in Joshua chapter 3 when the children of God start to leave the wilderness and decide to go into the promised land, which we've taught before, is a picture of a disciple's abundant life. Believers 
wander saved out of oppression, but they wander. Disciples say, I'm going to cross the river. I'm going to get into the promised land of God. The Bible says when they decided to do that, the Jordan River was at flood stage. It was roaring and raging. But the word tells us that when the priests, come on, that's us, who are carrying the ark, the presence of God, when they put their foot in the water, you know, they had to step into the flood. They had to trust God. That means they activated faith. They heard the word. They believed the word. They activated the word. And when they activated the word, the Bible says a force came and stopped the flood waters at a place called Adam in the vicinity of Zarathan. That is not a mistake. Why does God stop? He could have stopped it anywhere. Why did he stop it at Adam? Because Adam is the origin of the fall, the origin of the curse in our life. Zarephan means the place of their distress. My God brings his force all the way back to the place where it started, all the way back to the place of our distress. He doesn't give the enemy one foothold of our lives. That's what the power of the Lord of God, the Lord does in our life. Why? Because it's his nature. He is Jehovah Nisi. He doesn't just do it. It's who he is. He can't help himself. He can't not be who he is. That's what Exodus 17 tells us. That's what Isaiah is trying to get his people in Babylon to remember who their God is. You're under oppression. Remember God. He's the God brought you out of Egypt. Hey, I'm in pain. Do you remember God? He's the God who brought water out of the stone for you. Hey, I'm, I'm hurting. Yeah, but do you remember God? He's the God who delivered you from every enemy. He's trying to get us to remember. There's no, listen, it's not coincidentally that Jesus says at the last summer, supper, remember this. He's trying to get us in our moments of doubt and pain to remember who he is. Do you remember Exodus 17? I've taught on it before. Can't get into all of it. But they're in the valley of Rephidim. The place Moses just struck the rock and water came out. Picture the Holy Spirit coming out into his people's lives. Because anytime the Spirit starts to move in your life, that's the place the enemy's going to attack. So sometimes when you're going through an attack, you've got to stop and look back and say, that's all right, because I can see the movement of God moving in my life. I'm going to trust in the God who's moving. The Bible says that Joshua went into the valley to fight the enemy. That's a picture of Jesus, a mighty warrior. Moses goes up on the hill. You remember this story? Goes up on the hill. The Bible says when he lifts up his hands with a picture like this that looks like the cross, the Bible says they're winning. But when he gets tired because he's doing it by himself and he lowers his arms, the enemy starts to win. Which should encourage us, church. I can't tell you how many times over the years I haven't seen people in church for years. And they'll come back and I'll be like, man, how you doing? And they're like, Pastor, I just been, I've been going through it. I've been going through it. And I'm like, man, can I just encourage you? Like, we're all going to go through it. But you may go through it a little shorter and a little differently if you allow an Aaron and her to lift up your arms than you do when you try to do it yourself. The Bible says when they won the victory, Moses builds an altar there that says, you are Yahweh Nisi. The Lord is my banner, but that word doesn't mean banner. It means battle standard. The Lord is my battle standard. 
The Lord is my battle standard. That means a battle started by the enemy all always calls for a battle standard to be released by our God. The truth is, as disciples, we need to remain under the standard and trust the standard bearer in the midst of it. Trust him to know the how and the when. That's what Isaiah is trying to get his people to remember, that no matter what they're going through, trust the how and the when of the standard bearer. Because he would be their deliverer. He'd show up in Zion. He would be their redeemer. The promise is the Spirit of the Lord will raise up a standard. The Spirit is the standard. That's why Ephesians 6, uh, uh, 6, 18 tells us that we need to pray in the Spirit on all occasions. Pray in the Spirit. We need to start praying in the Spirit and build a relationship with the Holy Spirit and trust in the Holy Spirit to move in, all, in and through those circumstances because the Spirit is the manifest presence of God's authority on earth. Affecting the natural realm is the prerogative and domain of the whole. Affecting the natural world is the prerogative and domain of the Holy Spirit. It's why Jesus baptizes us with the Spirit. Why? Because he's, it's about releasing ecclesia, authority. It's about releasing dunamis, the dynamic power of God, through his disciples to affect the natural world around us. And it's the Spirit that has the power through, to release the gifts of the Spirit to affect the natural world around us and to produce the fruit of the Spirit in us that changes us. It changes us. It changes our discouragement into joy, our annoyance into patience, our frustration into peace. It affects our soul, our mind, our will, and emotions, all the things we're trying to do on our own. I know I just got to be a little more patient. Good luck with that. I know I, I got I to be less frustrated. Good luck with that. The Bible tells us in Ephesians 6, 17 that the sword of the Spirit is the Word of God. The Word of God. So the Word becomes a standard against the flood. The Word is the expressed will of the Father over our lives and over creation. That's why you and I, we have to know the Word. We have to become students of the Word. We have to get the Word inside of us. We have to activate the Word through faith around us. That's why we have to experience the Word. The Word says this, that you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Our culture always misses part of that. They're usually the truth will set you free. No, no, no. If you know the truth. And that word know means to experience. The same way that a husband knows his wife. Come on, somebody. That is the same Greek word. He's talking about we have to have intimacy with the truth. When you have intimacy with the truth, it will set you free. It's not about information. It's about revelation of who he is. Because the word is, the, is his standard against wrong thinking, against belief, against the temptation for us to move the boundary stones to feel better. I, was, I read a story this week. A sad story about how seven people in nine days drowned in Panama City, Florida. Panama Beach, Florida. They drowned. All men, and they all drowned. They drowned because where, from their perspective, they could not see what, what the riptides that were actually in the water. That authorities could see. You guys can show the picture. The authorities could see from the helicopter above. They could see the riptides down in the water. And it's not that they drowned because they didn't know. They walked past signs that said, beach closed, danger, riptides. 
They had double red flags that says don't swim anywhere. There were police officers, lifeguards, and security officers that were telling them not to go in the water, and they still went past all of those standards to swim where they wanted to swim. And I know we're thinking, how stupid could someone be? The same way we can be stupid when we know the Word of God, have heard the Word of God, have received the Word of God, and still say, I'm going to swim anyway. Because the standard is there to keep us from the riptides that will destroy our lives. God is not trying to keep us from swimming. He's trying to keep us from drowning. He's not trying to keep us from having fun or enjoying life or man, enjoying your marriage. Matter of fact, when you're living a godly marriage, you're having the best marriage you can have. He's not against swimming. The truth is the word empowers us to rebuke personal lies. Our fear causes us to tell ourselves and the lies of the enemy that we actually fear are true about ourselves. And when we understand the focus of the word, we're almost done. I'm going to wrap it up in a second. The focus of the word is to reveal Jesus and the works of the cross. So the cross is a standard of God. When God saw the flood of sin and the wages of sin is death coming at humanity, he put a standard called the cross in front of us. It is this cross and the accomplished work of Jesus on the cross that seals the promises and disarms the enemy. Colossians 2 says that the every enemy is disarmed and he made a public spectacle out of them by the cross. The cross. Come on, we see it plainly at the cross. This plan of the enemy to separate us from the intimacy with the Father. Isn't that what the enemy was trying to do with Jesus? Jesus is on the cross, flood after flood, sin, wrath, loneliness, all these things coming at Jesus, boom, 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 boom. So much so that in one moment he says, God, Father, where are you? I feel all alone, where are you? He knows what we feel like in the middle of floods. He understood it. He got it. But he did something that should be an example for you and I. He stayed on the cross. In the middle of his flood, he stayed on the cross. He stayed submitted. He stayed in love. He, stayed. he could have in any moment got off the cross. He could have called thousands of angels down to destroy. He could have stopped holding the molecules of the wood beams together and just got off. The nails could have disintegrated. He would have just strolled off whole and healthy. He didn't. He stayed on the standard. The cross, my friends, is a standard against the floods that come against us. Because even if there, there are what seem like temporary victories, seem like Friday moments, the cross reminds us that you and I live in eternal victory. Yep, it might not happen on this side of the veil, but this side of the veil is a breath, is a moment. We live in the victory of Christ on the other side of the veil. And all of this is founded on the faithfulness of our God. The word says he's not a man that he should lie. 
The Bible tells me that Jesus is so committed to being faithful and true. He has it tattooed on his body, faithful and true. He's the King of kings and Lord of lords, that the word of the, the, the sword of the Spirit proceeds from his mouth. He is not a man that he should lie. He will never forsake us. He'll never leave us. Even when we forsake him, come on, somebody. Even when we forget him, he never leaves us. He never forsakes us. Even if we're the, we're the sheep that walks away, he'll leave the 99 to hunt us down. Even if I'm the lost coin that falls behind the couch, he will absolutely move everything he has to in order to get to you and I. He'll never leave me. He'll never forsake me. No flood is mightier than the word of God. But ultimately, my friends, his response is the standard. But our response is the altar. How does Isaiah end it? He will deliver those who turn from their transgressions. Those who repent. Repent from trying to do it ourselves, trying to soothe our pain with other things that aren't God, who give in to fear and discouragement, who take the reins back from God, de deconstruct our faith, move the boundary stones, give in to compromised culture. It's not a problem that we've done any of that. It's the problem that we stay in it once we've done it. That's why James 4 says this. Resist the devil and he will flee. Nope. James 4 starts with this. Submit yourselves to God. Resist the devil and he will flee. I'm just going to resist the devil. No, 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 no. You don't have in your own power the strength to resist the devil. Submit yourselves to God. God, I don't understand it all, but I know who you are. I wish the word was different, but I'm going to live it out anyway. I, 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 I don't know how this is going to end, but I know you're in it. So I'm going to choose to submit to your will and live my life to worship you. This is how, like Joseph, we steward the opportunities to be who we've been created to be in the midst of the flood and give God the praise through the flood. The answer for the disciple is always the altar. Isn't it the father of faith, Abraham, who takes his son on a journey up the mountain, builds an altar of pyre, ties up his son, his only son that he had prayed for, waited for, been a miracle to receive. The Bible says when he places him on the altar, it's then that he looks up and sees the ram in the thicket. It's when he placed the thing most special to him on the altar that the ram showed up. I will tell you, I believe the ram was always there. He just didn't see it until his eyes were opened through submission. Romans 12. This is what we end with. I beseech you, brothers and sisters, I appeal to you to present your lives, your bodies, your life, your marriage, your marketplace, your dreams, your desires to the Lord. Place them on the altar as a sacrifice, for this is your act of spiritual worship. I love the worship we had earlier. I love it. 
I love to raise my hands. I love to clap. I love to shout. I love to see God move when we do that corporately. And that certainly is worship. Maybe some of the greatest worship is this. When I'm in the midst of the flood, when I'm in the midst of I don't know how God's going to do it, when I'm carrying the thing that is most precious to me, and I don't know how or when God's going to show up, maybe the greatest act of worship I can give is to submit myself, place my life on the altar, say, Daddy, forgive me for doing it my way. I don't really care how the flood came, but I recognize the strategy of the enemy in this flood is to disconnect us, to separate us, to distract me and discourage me from trusting you. And so I repent. I trust you, Jesus. Soul, rise up, praise the Lord. I'm going to trust in the Lord with all my heart and lean not on my own understanding and all my ways. I'm going to acknowledge God and he will direct my path. Daddy, today, as I lay myself on the altar, I trust your word is true. That when the enemy comes in like a flood, you will lift up a standard against it. So here I am. Help me to stand until the victory comes. Make my feet unmovable. Come on, church, this should be our prayer. Make my feet unmovable. Make my heart unsinkable. Make my mind unchangeable. I'm standing on the rock, the revelation of Jesus. That come hell or high water, the flood will not touch me. I don't know how and I don't know when, but I know who my standard is. It is and always will be you. Church, can we just pray that? Can you just take a moment in your own life? Can you just take some time and just as Chris plays for a second? If there's something that the Holy Spirit's been whispering to you that maybe you need to turn away from, repent from, doesn't need to be evil, can just be something that is self-soothing or something that's selfish, self-reliant. You tell your soul, soul, we're staying on the rock. Come on. Soul, we're staying on the rock. I'm unmoved. I'm unchanged. I'm staying on the rock. Holy Spirit, I pray today for every person around this room, everybody who's listening online today, everybody who will be listening to the podcast, no matter when or where it is, I pray right now in the name of Jesus Christ 
that you will lift up a standard against the floods that come into their life, whether it's a flood that they're presently going through or one that they will face as they walk out this journey with you. I pray that your word is true. I thank you that you're faithful. I thank you that you're not a man that you should lie. I thank you that you'll never leave us or forsake us. I thank you that the word says that when we build our life upon the rock, even when the storm comes, we will not be moved. Father, I pray right now a release of the Holy Spirit's power and authority to change things in the natural through the gifts of the Spirit and a release of the fruit of the Spirit in our lives to overthrow the discouragement, overthrow the frustration, overthrow the annoyance, bring us joy, bring us patience, bring us peace, produce in us what we can't produce in ourselves. Let the Holy Spirit flow in this place. In the name of Jesus, we surrender, we submit, we give you glory, we give you honor, we give you praise. We choose today as Connect Church to steward who we have been made to be in the midst of this flood. And we say we will not retreat, we will not surrender, for the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords will fight the battle. You are a mighty king, a mighty warrior dressed for battle. And we know whether it's sickness or depression, addiction or disease, whether it be uh, offense or disunity, whatever it may be, in the name of Jesus, it has no power here. You're the king. We bow. We lay down what is most important, our lives, on the altar of the cross. And we say, Holy Spirit, Father, Jesus, let your kingdom come. Let your will be done. In Jesus' name. I am believing today, Father, for breakthroughs in this room. That men and women are going to see those chains that held them. They're going to lie on the floor as they leave this place. Through the power of the name of of Jesus. And together in faith we say amen and amen. Come on, can we give God a shout of praise? Lord, thank you for healing us, setting us free. The enemy is a liar. You're already up here. You are sneaky. <laughs> I was trying not to miss my cue this time. You didn't give me a cue, so I, I wasn't give you a sure, cue. so I just was like double dutching. <laughs> double dutching it? Not, that's not That's not it. That's nope. not good. No. Nope. Give it up for Pastor D. <laughs> Church, I just want to bring our attention now to our time that we give our offering and our tithe unto the Lord. There's going to be means to do that on the screens. As you will see, there's digital ways. There's ways to give physically. And I always giggle when we say there's these gold kiosks you can drop your finances into when you leave because I just remember all of the cans of spray paint that it took us to make them gold. It sounds really awesome. Like we have these gold kiosks. You have no idea what's under there. But as you prepare yourselves to give, I just want to tell you a story about the house that built me, which is this house. And if you can just remember that, you know, we're pastors, but we're people first. And we're always learning. And we're always, remember the stuttering steps from last week, a couple weeks ago. And so when, the, when Kyle mentioned the flood that happened the Friday night before we were supposed to finally have church, we can't go into all of the things that it meant because unfortunately, talking about a flood and a pandemic 
and a tornado were not the biggest things that actually happened to us during that time. But thinking that you're going that evening to prepare this place, <laughs> the final time that no one has, been, has seen yet, that it has been prepared for you, and, all the, and to walk in and there to be a flood in its place was, I couldn't wrap my mind around it. And um, there, was a, there were people here that didn't go to the church that happened to be here doing the last minute things when the water started to come in. So by the time that we got here, we, were, we live a half an hour from here, so by the time we got here, it was just a pool. This is the first flood. <laughs> so now we're going to have to differentiate between floods. Just sit me there. So the first flood. So I came in, and I was so devastated that I didn't know what to do. I, it was like there's no, and so someone, this wonderful gentleman, he just handed me a broom, and he said, your job is to not let this water go anywhere but out the door. But you have to understand that the water was so high that simply handing me a broom to put, I knew, I was like, God bless this man. He has given me busy work right in the middle of this flood just, be, to, just to keep my sanity. But I was so distraught that what I didn't realize is that little Olivia, Pastor, Pastors Kevin and Lisa's little Olivia was right there next to me. And I am in full despair. And I am sweeping, doing something that I know has no effect. And I realize, I turn around, and little Olivia is just staring at me. And it has been one of those things that I have regretted for so long. Because that's not who I wanted to be in that moment but it, who I, it was who I was in that moment. So fast forward to, we get the call. And we get into the car, this is this week, and I said, Kay, come heck or high water, if Olivia is there, she will never see me like that ever again. And the reason that I say that is because between two years ago and that day, I had learned a lot and I learned that this building does not the church make. And that what needed to matter is that I was stewarding hearts, not rugs. And so when we walked in here, still devastating, but eyes fixed. And I said to Kyle, our, our shoulders have to be squarely facing Jesus this whole time. This is the house that built me still learning and I say this it's gonna rain for the next few days and there is a distance between us right now knowing now what a new problem is and us being able to fix it so sometimes there is a distance between when you know what needs to be fixed and when it can be resolved and there's this interim space of, oh no, it's going to rain. And this space, we determine how we will live within it. And we pull from the lessons that we've learned of past floods. And we pull from the people that we've shown ourselves to be that we don't like. And we pull from the examples that we wanna be because that's who we have become. And those are the things that we learn inside of a house that builds us. So I don't know what I'll be 
talking about next week. But even if a flood comes, my heart is fixed on Jesus. My mind is fixed on Jesus. Come what may, my entirety of my being is fixed on Jesus. Church, can you stand with me? We're going to pray and dismiss. Father, I thank you for this house that continues to build me. I thank you for the finance, the real finance that you put into this house so that it can come out of this house. I thank you, God, that there are little ones who watch us always, God, because they remind us of a spiritual legacy that extends far beyond any other legacy we could attempt to make for them. And God, I pray that we are mindful of the growth that still needs to take place in us and that we welcome it quickly. Instead of deflecting it, God, I pray that as you pour resource into this house and this resource pours out of this house, that this house would always be a reminder to us, God, that we are to repent quickly and to rejoice freely in the redemption that you give instantaneously. I thank you, Father, for the lessons and even the scars that we bear, God, because they tell of a name that is above our name, and it's your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Have a beautiful week. Come what may this week, church.